Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm your host, Chelsea, and with me is my co-host, Arzu. Hello. Last week, we talked about SG-1 Season 4, Episodes 10 and 11, with some nice Sam Jack content and introducing the lovable Martin. And today, we're going to be talking about Episodes 12 and 13, Tangent and The Curse. Tangent premiered on September 15th, 2000, was written by Michael Cassett and directed by Peter DeLuise. The Curse premiered on September 22nd, 2000, was written by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully and directed by Andy Mikita. And honestly, I think both of these episodes are bangers. So, Arcee, would you please summarize? So, Tangent is Top Gun with aliens, um, <laughs> sort of. They're experimenting with a new plane, Apophis is involved, so something goes wrong, and they have to like launch a rescue mission to save Jack and Teal from Apophis, basically slowly suffocating them to death. And the curse is Daniel returning to his alma mater when his old archaeology professor dies and gets into a professional rivalry with discount Oscar Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> I... This poor guy. I need to find He's out what the poor actor is. He is cute. He's just like, like his, you know, those things people do online, like what I ordered, what I got, and like what you got <laughs> is fine, but it's not what you ordered. He's like yeah. the what I got of Oscar Isaac. His name is Ben Bass. Um, I feel like I know him from something. Like he was in something I saw. He's cute. Like he's looks like he's still cute from recent pictures. See, he's in Rookie Blue. He's that's like a thing that he's been in a lot of. Um, he's been in like random episodes of lots of things. So, I mean, I couldn't tell you for sure what you've seen him in. I'm like scanning it really quickly. Not a damn thing. I haven't seen him in anything. It's just <laughs> the Oscar Isaac thing. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So, let's do our quote reveal. Last week I gave the quote, do you know your ship's bigger than ours? And your guess was that Jack is speaking to the alien of the week who wants SG-1 to perform some task, but Jack points out that the aliens should do it because their ship is bigger. Well, you got the person, right? It was yeah. Jack. You said it. Um, <laughs> oh, the context was way off. <laughs> That's okay. Jack was oxygen deprived speaking to Sam. <laughs> who was trying to rescue him i'll take it it was like a light sam jack moment so i'll take being wrong if yeah it means my faves are talking <laughs> the way they're talking to her was so cute <laughs> they are cute they're so cute <laughs> all right so we start off this episode by meeting lieutenant general vadrine and i feel like this episode just has a lot of like quippy moments with like mm -hmm. you know funny dialogue throughout and so we have a little bit of that in the opening and at first when i was watching this so we have the team plus this general on an airstrip and tilk is test flying a plane that is basically just a normal death glider from the guawold which they have like put some of their own tech into so he does a flyby, and the first time I was watching it, I was like, I feel like he got low enough that that flyby should have broken the windows and the cars that were there. Yeah, I was. And it did. I was surprised. I went, 
I went back and watched it and it did. If you look okay. really close, it's like a split second, but all of the windows blow out and those two cars that are right there. So okay. I like, okay. So I missed good. that, but I also thought, you know, like maybe it was a, like a lag in the VFX, but when he swoops down, mm-hmm. the time that passes between him swooping and their reaction mm-hmm. is off. And it also doesn't feel like it's a strong enough reaction for how low that plane was. Like just in terms of like the wind and the destruction. And I'm like, so at first I was like, I was like, oh, that's a cool feature. They like updated it so you can swoop really low and like your enemy doesn't know you're close. But then they all <laughs> did react. So I'm like, okay, it's just a VFX problem. Well, Gave I was thinking too, too that, that like he came up so quickly and the sound is going to be a bit delayed. Yeah, but the wind so. isn't going to be delayed because the wind is a direct. Yeah, but the wind of, is going to come plane. after he passes. So their ducking down might be slightly delayed than what you think it would be. It felt like too delayed. And Mm -hmm. also like it's so close to them that like human nature would be to react prior to it passing. And they're all standing like there's nothing there because there's nothing there. So (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Just being naggy about special effects. Maybe they just didn't cut it quite right. Could be. (laughs) I did like their little um, like colonel general major general like that whole (laughs) exchange yeah (laughs) and like when tilk does his flyby and jack is like woohoo and (laughs) and like general vadrine is like i would like to be serious if that's okay with you colonel (laughs) you can be serious and woohoo at the same time (laughs) right uh major davis was there and he was describing the glider and how it was like a glider updated with good old American know-how. And I'm like, okay, Davis, like <laughs> slow the military propaganda. <laughs> I did like later on, like just jumping ahead, that somebody was like, you can't just slap a sticker on it, like a yeah. US Navy or military sticker on it and call it your own. Yep. That's not how this works. Was it? It's Jacob that says that. It was Jacob. Okay. Yeah. It's like somebody called them on this. Yeah, it was Jacob. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's right. You can't, you can't do that. They basically just put their own computer board and controls in there and otherwise didn't really change anything. It's like the time my Spanish teacher described the Alhambra as the Catholic monarch showed up, stapled across to the wall and said, this is Christian now. (laughs) And I was like, that was the same energy. (laughs) Yeah, then, so they're talking about this prototype as being a small craft that could fight off a larger ship and i'm like i'm sure that that thing is powerful enough to really fight off like a mothership if it comes and also you only have one so far so like refresh my memory get cooking where did they get that information from which information that it's enough to fight off a bigger ship i mean just in terms of like it, it being a piece of gold technology that is used in like dogfighting and stuff like that. Yeah, but a dogfighting vehicle can't fight off like a warship. If you have enough of them, then maybe and you can. Sure, but if you even had a whole then, fleet, even then, you'd have to get past the shields still. Yeah. But I mean, if they had a fleet of like several dozen of them, then at least they could like you know, make an effort. I remain politely skeptical. <laughs> yeah. Well, needless to say that after this episode, they kind of go back to the drawing board. 
Yeah, just a little because uh, Apophis <laughs> packed a surprise. Right. So after Tilk does his flyby, he comes down and he and Jack are going to do a more sophisticated test run. They're going to do a bombing run. And so that's when things all go wrong. Apparently Apophis programmed a, what would you call that? Like a booby trap, essentially? Yeah. They're calling it a recall. Right. The recall device. Recall device. Yeah. But a booby trap, essentially. Yeah. In order to very slowly well i mean i guess not slowly they are technically traveling a million miles an hour but slowly for space <laughs> to back to going back to chulak essentially but like even going a million miles an hour they would still take them several hundred years to actually reach chulak which you know like i get that this is apophis's idea of like trapping somebody in here mm-hmm. and essentially like suffocating them the idea is not to ever deliver yeah. these people to chulak Right. But my thing is, part of the plan must be, or must have been when he set this up, to intercept them and get the ship back prior to those several hundred years. Because I know the lifespan is really long, but I also know that, like, materials will deteriorate. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that ship's not making know. it to luck. I don't think he would ever hope to recover it, necessarily. So I he's mean, just, like, writing it off as a loss. Yeah, I think so. Because, like, when okay. you think about it, whenever when he's at the height of his power he's really full of himself and like he you know he sent a huge battalion to keb knowing that there was a possibility that they wouldn't return you know that they would get destroyed by oma jasala and and stuff like that so there's instances where he clearly shows a lack of concern for losing ships but essentially there's never the notion that he's gonna get it back no, I don't think so. Okay. Must I be think... nice to have so many disposable um, dog yeah. fighting. I almost said plane. Like <laughs> dog fighting vehicles that like you could yeah. just be like, no, it's fine. It's a write-off. The spare yeah. parts will get to Chulak in a few centuries. Right. I mean, I think if he was a lesser gold, then maybe he would be thinking that way in terms of keeping as many resources as possible. But, I mean, he's been relatively well off for quite a long time, especially since Ra died. So, yeah, I mean, I think he probably Is he still alive? I don't remember. He's not, right? No, Apophis. Oh, Apophis. No, he's still alive. Okay. Because remember, we saw him. I mean, he was at, well, he wasn't at Keb, but he, like, you know, he sent people to Keb. Can you tell him over Apophis? I don't even remember if he's alive anymore. (laughs) Well, we will be seeing him relatively soon. So, so like next week. <laughs> I'm not telling you. Last time you said this is going to happen soon, it happened next week. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so we're seeing him next week. Can't wait. Uh, anyway, he's alive. <laughs> I so Teal'c and Jack are stuck in this glider heading out into deep space. And I will note to you something that will be relevant for your interest since you're really into fanfic type stuff. Yes. So they call the glider that Teal'c and Jack are in Digger 1 in this episode. Whenever there's a fanfic with Jack and they need a call sign for him as a pilot, the fanfic writers use Digger 1. Aww. 
So there you go. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you have good Sam Jack fix and you're listening to this, please send them my way. Oh, there's lots. But like good ones. <laughs> I haven't looked, so this is not like a judgment on anything anybody might have posted but uh-huh. when there's a lot of fix about a couple like i don't have time to sit there and filter right it's not a good one if you've got a wreck uh send it my way well what i need to do i need to find you some that are for like based on early episodes so that you're not like getting spoilers for later if on. you have fix specifically where they are flouting military regulations and throwing that chain of command in the trash i don't care what season it's from <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You know, you know, I don't like those regulations. You, if they're deliberately yeah. violating them, send it my way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, they're in the glider. I feel like Jack just has so many good lines. He's like, "I love the like Cheyenne. We have a problem." And when they're trying to figure out a way to get the glider turned around, they think they might be able to use the thrust of the missiles to nudge their way around Jupiter and I love Teal'c's line of I am I am unsure of that specific measurement. <laughs> and it's yeah, I just feel like this episode is so quippy and, and I love it. And um I was wondering about so they what they do what they try to do is burn the missiles so that it'll turn the glider and it doesn't work, but also one of the missiles ends up spinning back towards them. And I feel like I want a physicist to tell me if that makes sense. Because I feel like it shouldn't have been able to spin back towards them. Because like in space, if you push something in one direction, it's never going to stop moving in that direction at that given speed. Unless something else stops it. So if the missile shot forward then it should have just kept moving forward i feel like the only thing that makes sense would be if the glider was moving faster than the missile and the missile was directly in front of it and so it hit it from behind either that or it had some kind of homing device or like a not in the apophis sense but like a recall Um, I don't think that makes sense for a missile because you wouldn't ever want to risk a missile that you're sending towards an enemy to come back towards you. But what if you wanted to change trajectory? I feel like that's a thing in missiles, isn't it? Like in sci-fi? I mean, it depends on the kind of missile. Some missiles are just like point and shoot and you can't control it. Some of them have like GPS guidance where you could like... I feel like I'm coming off of a lot of Marvel movies where missiles are like homing missiles like target yeah. so they'll change path and go towards their objective I don't yeah know. i mean i, that just I don't know if that exists i feel like it probably does even if they say it doesn't i um, think that probably exists. exists yeah i think that probably does exist we just don't know for sure if that's what this is yeah but i'm saying if that exists then i don't think it's beyond the realm of like sci-fi to yes and that a little bit maybe but in any case, the I guess the missile coming back and hitting them damaged their power and life support because, you know, of course it did. We have to create some stakes. Of course. For the episode. <laughs> and so back at the SGC, people, everyone's trying to like workshop the problem and try to figure out a solution. And Daniel comes up with the idea of like we should try to like turn off the recall device 
and Sam doesn't think it's a good idea and Daniel seems offended and I'm like my dude you are not a scientist or an engineer don't be offended when somebody tells you when someone who is a scientist tells you that it's not a good idea <laughs> you know what I mean Listen, he thinks he's <laughs> special <laughs> like thank you for the idea but a scientist is telling you that it's a bad one so just like move on <laughs> and so while sam is trying to figure out a sciencey way to solve things daniel contacts the tolan and the tokra and the tolan apparently don't have a ship fast enough to get there and i was kind of surprised by that because they're really advanced and i'm like they're I lying guess... well i mean I was the just tolan are the that... people whose tech they keep trying to take right yeah yeah they're lying well, I was just thinking that maybe it's just that the Tolan were never particularly interested in interstellar travel. And no, so they just lying. never developed the technology to do it. I don't I don't think so. Like I mean, I'm going based on human nature here, but their refusal to share is very human, so I'm going to apply this human thing to them too. In that even if they don't want to use it, they're like, "But but can we build it? What if we did?" Right. Yeah. They have it. They just they're lying well i mean it seems like they have ships just not ones that are fast enough so i guess ships that that's what I mean. don't they're have lying. Hy- either ships that don't have hyperspeed or don't have like mega hyperspeed there's no way when everybody else in the area has it too there's absolutely no way they don't yeah well i mean even so they end up finding jacob on a planet within a day's range so, I mean, it is possible that they do have ships and they do have ships that have light speed. But if their home planet is on the opposite side of the galaxy, maybe it would take them like a week to get there. And so then Jack and Tilt would be dead by then. It could be, but I still think this is them just not wanting to share. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we never really find out necessarily. So, <laughs> lovely. Yeah. They're just kind of like a throwaway line in this episode. Yeah, so with the Tok'ra, Daniel apparently talked to Anise, which I think is so funny that she's like mentioned here when we're never going to see the actress again. (laughs) It's like, yeah, sure, Anise is still around. I almost wonder if it's one of those things where they intended to bring her back at some point, but maybe the actress wasn't available or just didn't like come up plot wise, like it wasn't relevant. But uh, anyway, Anise said that there was somebody within a day's range who was important to both of them. And I'm just really surprised that they didn't immediately guess that it was Jacob. Because it's like, what other Tok'ra are they besties with? Like, Martufa's dead. Anise is the one telling them this information, so it's obviously not her. We don't really know any other Tok'ra by first name like this that we've seen on more than one occasion. Because it's like the High Chancellor we've seen once. And it's not like he would go on a mission anyway. There's some other previous council members that we saw the very first time that we met the Tok'ra who we've seen once. So (laughs) literally the only Tok'ra that we see regularly is Jacob. So like who else do you think it would be? They're not very smart. (laughs) But I will say... That Anise was very crafty. I know I, right. I've had feelings about Anise in the past, but very crafty. 
I, I love that trope in TV of like, I certainly won't help you contact anybody important to us who's within a day from here. Yeah. How it, dare you ask me to give you this phone number? And then you like swipe or whatever. Like, you right, know what I mean? yeah. I'm such a fan of that trope. I think it's very yeah. funny. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she was very pleased that they were able to figure it out and go find Jacob. Sitting there going, I can't believe it took them this long. <laughs> They should have figured it out right away. <laughs> I wonder so, if they share tech with them. They're stupid. <laughs> I know it's not her, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, we have problems with the Togra in general. They're very, they're too secretive. They're not good. They're not great allies. They're, they're okay allies. They're not great. <laughs> they're okay when they come through. Yeah. But they're also very manipulative. So, you know, you know, <laughs> So Sam and Daniel go find Jacob and I just think it's so funny. I feel like I kind of like got a mental kind of flashback of what it must have been like for Sam growing up because as soon as Jacob sees them, he's just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, (laughs) and she looks so chastised. It's like, yeah, you got to remember that he used to be an Air Force general. (laughs) Air Force General and her dad, and now he's an alien. Yeah. He's got a lot going on. Yeah. So she's just like, uh, like, and like Daniel took the lead on like telling him the situation, what was happening, because Sam was just like, oh no. (laughs) I don't like being in trouble with dad. So they end up pushing the envelope basically of flying at 132% of maximum speed to get to Jack and Teal'c. And I'm like, I that is just some sci-fi nonsense. <laughs> like, Honestly. Like, scientifically, you can't go beyond 100% of maximum speed. Because whatever the maximum is, is 100%. Exactly. I mean, you could maybe say like 132% of recommended speed. Sure, or 132% of standard you know, standard speed. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever the maximum is, is the ma- guys, you're supposed to be scientists. <laughs> and so, of course, like the engine gets like shorted out and they have to stop and make repairs in a quote bad neighborhood. And I was thinking about this bad neighborhood. And I was like, I feel like it doesn't super make sense that it's a bad neighborhood. Because Jacob was on a Gould-occupied world about a day away from Earth. And they're on their way there. They're probably, like, halfway there. So that means that, like, 12 hours from Earth is a bad neighborhood to be in. For like gold occupied territory, that's really close. That yeah, I feel like the moon is probably the only thing that's twelve hours from here. Although well, I, I mean, twelve, 12 hours, hours in like hyperspeed. Yeah. Okay, fine. Still, that's still. I feel like that's still within our solar system. Probably, like the know. outer edges, but still. Yeah, maybe either like just barely inside it or just barely outside of it, maybe. That's why we had to kick Pluto out of the solar system. It's <laughs> occupied by gold. It's I all mean, coming together. You never know. It's all coming together. Nobody tell me I'm wrong. 
but yeah it just makes it just so weird to me that there's the possibility of any number of world within 12 hours of earth like i feel like that should be a bigger plot point <laughs> and they never mentioned it again right like and it ends up being harrower and i'm like that's a big one <laughs> he's powerful and he's like really close to earth apparently <laughs> it's fine it's fine i guess but then upon discovering that they have dropped out in space right next to harrower's two motherships we come to my favorite line of the entire episode. Is it? Is it what <laughs> I think it is? So while Sam and Jacob are trying to fix the hyperdrive, Jacob tells Daniel to make something up if the gold motherships hail them. And so Daniel tells Harrower that he is the great and powerful Oz. It's just the greatest moment. Like, he was, like, I I don't know what it's like on streaming, but I'm watching it on DVD, and there's no subtitles. So Daniel says Oz, and I'm like, no. (laughs) This is a gold word, or something. Yeah. And then Jacob's like, what did you say? And he's like, like, who'd you say you were? And he's like, the great and powerful Oz. Like, you and Jack have only seen (laughs) one movie. Right. Like... They watch it together. It's the ritual. Well, no, we've discussed this previously. Jack has seen all of the Star Wars movies. Right, yes. Yes. But The Wizard of Oz is his favorite still. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's that's easily my favorite line of the whole thing. It just makes me giggle every time. And also sheepish, too. Well, he was having fun with the broadcast. It was like, he holds his hand down, speaks into it, pulls his hand away, and it broadcasts. And the broadcast voice is so, like, deep and loud and, like, powerful sounding. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> He's That's just like, cool. <laughs> he was, like, enjoying it way too much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? This is fine. <laughs> Oh, but actually, right before that moment, they have this whole conversation that I think is really interesting when they're talking about... So this is like when Jacob delivers the line of, you can't just slap a U.S. Air Force sticker on the glider and call it yours. And so they have this argument about, you know, taking other people's technology, basically, because Jacob is like, advancement like that has to be earned. And Daniel points out that the gold stole all their technology from other races... Mm-hmm. And then Jacob is like, yeah, but we've been flying these ships for literally thousands of years. So we're pretty experienced at it by this point. And it's like, well, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting back and forth because it's like, well, it's true that they've had this level of technology for like at least 10,000 years. But then at the same time, they also haven't made a huge number of improvements over those 10,000 years or so. I was going to say, like, they've had these ships for millennia. Yeah. And there's still something that humans with our relatively recent foray mm-hmm. into space travel can comprehend. Yeah. Like, how advanced is this really? Yeah, I just, I mean, they, we see, like, little pockets of improvements from time to time. Like, the whole personal shield thing is relatively new. Um, because we saw that apparently Apophis used it for the first time in the Nox episode. 
And like, why did it take so long? Right. And it's like, I don't understand. Like, I mean, I guess it kind of goes to, into like, how do you define a race being technologically advanced? You know, is it just having advanced stuff, having stuff that's more advanced than the other people's? Or is it like an expectation that there's constant improvement? And then what's your definition of constant? Like how how often should a race be advancing in order to be considered advanced? You know I feel I mean? like the phrase technologically advanced in reference to a civilization is like relative to who is using the word. Yeah. It's usually relative to Earth and yeah, this case, like but... like to Earth like in Star Trek, the idea comes from like have they achieved warp? Right. Yes, we can talk to them. No, we can't talk to them. Like, so I'm thinking for them, it's, they are more advanced than we are. Therefore, they are technologically advanced. Yeah. Right. But then, you know, I mean, it kind of comes to like a broader question too, of like, what races consider other races technologically advanced, which might be an interesting question. Of like, <laughs> like nobody considers Earth technologically advanced. Right. Well, I mean, that's not true. But anytime they go to that forest in Vancouver and find people living in houses right next to the Stargate, <laughs> they probably think Earth is technologically advanced. But Well, I feel like people like the Tolan will acknowledge that the people of Earth are no longer literally primitive, but that they're still, yeah, they're still very technologically unadvanced. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting argument to be made, like, are the Gwolds technically an advanced race when they stole the technology in the first place and make very little improvements to it? You know? Arguably? No. I mean, they're certainly clever enough to have figured out. Yeah, like, I, they're not te- like, them not being technologically advanced is not to suggest they're unintelligent. They're extremely yeah. intelligent. They're just not. Yeah. <sighs> but that's tricky, too, because, like, they didn't create the advancement, but they know how to use it. Yeah. So maybe. What do you think? Let us know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that there's an easy answer necessarily. No, absolutely not. So in the meantime, Jack and Teal are just chilling literally in this glider and Tilk realizes that, you know, since their life support is very low, it's going to be better for him to go into a deep state of Kelnorim in order to reduce his need for oxygen. And I love how Jack is just like, but who will I talk to? And then <laughs> Tilk says this whole thing. He has this whole little speech. It's so about cute. How it's an honor to serve with you and we're brothers. And I'm like, oh, Teal. This ties in really nicely with where they're they're at in the next episode, but we'll get to that when we get there. I did think it was funny when um, Teal talked about freezing to death and Jack's like, I almost froze to death once. I'm not doing that again. I'm like, but you snuggled with Sam last time. Well, he doesn't have Sam to snuggle with this time, so it's not as nice. Don't be homophobic, Jack. You can snuggle with Teal. (laughs) Well, I feel like they can't physically because there's not very much room in that glider and they're separated. They can't, like... Jack can climb over Teal's shoulder <laughs> and sit on his lap, and then they can snuggle. Oh boy! <laughs> what they're be, dying? That'd be very cramped, but like cozy. <laughs> I but I'm also not sure that Teal would be okay with that because Jack has been 
peeing into his suit. Okay, but like, <laughs> they're dying. <laughs> Some perspective. Anyway, yes, it's Tilk very is cute. Pretty that they're not going to die, though. So yeah, and it's very cute what Tilk says to him. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I I do kind of understand that Jack would rather die in an explosion than in the cold of space because at least fast course is slow. Yeah, hundred exactly. percent. Yeah. And so they, of course, manage to reach Jack and Tilk right in the nick of time. Mm-hmm. You know. As one Give does. Them some very intense instructions on how to get out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, well, I'm going to get to my qualms about that in a second. <laughs> but I do want to say first that I, there's really cute Sam Jack moment because, like, Jack sees Sam and he's just like, hi, <laughs> Carter. <laughs> he loves her. So cute. He's just like, Oh, you're here. <laughs> this is nice. He's just so out of it by this point. And she's like, do you trust me? And he's like, sure. <laughs> the funniest part of the instructions she gives them, which first of all was so extensive that I'm like in this moment of panic, I'm not 100% uh-huh. sure that they're going to remember all this. Yeah. But at one point she's like, okay, you're going to set the oxygen out to this and you're going to pre-breathe. <laughs> And I'm like, what is a pre-breathe? Is that like a technical term? I mean, I think that, I mean, she kind of explained it. It's like you take several like long, deep breaths, but then they have to exhale everything before they get ejected from the glider so that they don't get like a real thing. So they don't like have their lungs overly compressed or something. Or blown apart. I don't know. It's like it's a whole thing. It's a real thing. Okay. You want to give us like a definition? Yes, I will give you the Merriam-Webster definition. Okay. To breathe pure oxygen to purge the blood of nitrogen content in preparation for an activity such as a spacewalk that involves exposure to a significant change in pressure, which might otherwise cause decompression sickness. Well, there you go. There we go. It's a thing. So I yeah I do have like <laughs> a slight complaint about all the questions and instructions that she's giving. Is it that the list is too long? Because that's my It's so long. It's because, like, she initially asked Jack, like, what's your oxygen level and what's the cabin pressure level? And, you know, he has trouble answering, so he wakes up Tilk who can answer. But but I'm just over here like, why does it matter? Like, you know based on Jack's answers that there is barely any oxygen left. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like when Tilk answers her, he doesn't even give her specific numbers. He just says oxygen pressure is low, cabin pressure is low. That's not useful information. Like you, you should already know that. Like, why are you asking? Why are you taking 60 seconds to get these pointless answers instead of getting them out of there a little bit faster? Because they wrote themselves into this corner. <laughs> I just I, needed I, to roll on out of it. I, I'm just but like, why are you asking? You're wasting time. And then, yeah, she has all these instructions and basically tells them all the instructions twice. And it just, yeah, it just takes so long. And it's just like, look, do as much breathing as you can. 
breathe everything out as much as you can and then pop the canopy. Like, it, I don't know. I just feel like she made it a lot more complicated than it needed to be, especially when Jack is delusional from oxygen deprivation. So, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like it could have been a lot more succinct for Jack's sake. But in any case, they are able to use the rings in the ship to beam them out of mid-air. I guess technically this isn't mid-air because there's no air in space. Mid-space. <laughs> yeah. Mid-vacuum. Right. <laughs> and and I, I did notice a small error. So there's a shot of Daniel waiting by the rings and the door between him and the uh, like piloting area is closed. And then the next shot, it's open. That's an okay. editing issue. Yeah, I feel like there's like a continuity error there. I mean, between that and the airplane, like the editors were asleep at the wheel this week. <laughs> but I really did appreciate that when Jack and Teal'c were beamed into the ship, that the immediately fell over. So I'm like, yes, that makes sense. Because they wouldn't be in like a standing position. I like that they know? fell over in sync. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Plop. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jack looks so relieved to see Sam and also Jacob and he had like a, honestly like a really cute like basically like son and father-in-law moment <laughs> that's like, his father-in-law yeah like hey thanks for picking me up thanks for taking me home dad <laughs> they're so cute so I think, honestly, this is extremely likely to be in my top three for the season. I just love this episode. I think it's... So it fun. reminded me of Top Gun, so it annoyed me. I like Top Gun. I don't Gun. like Top Gun, so... I like Top Gun. So but didn't probably... you... You liked the sequel, though, didn't I like the sequel. This was, yeah. like, the first one. Oh, okay. Well, I liked the first one, too. All right. Everybody Anything? listening to this is like, the plot of this has nothing to do with the plot of Top Gun. I know that. <laughs> I well, know that. I mean, it's like two best buddies being stuck in a plane together and they're having like, problems. Oh, yeah. They don't get each other killed and then have it all brushed off. Val Kilmer isn't here. You know, <laughs> like. But I mean, I see what you mean. Yeah. There are some, I mean, like, you know, military propaganda. But that's just this whole show. I, don't, I mean, in general, I feel like there's not that much propaganda. Like, I mean, there's, like, the fact that they are in the military. It's, it's propaganda but, enough. But that's, like, very, like, baseline. There's not often a lot of, like, rah-rah military, we're so awesome type stuff. Fair enough. I mean, at least until we meet people who are outside the... Like, when we meet Lieutenant General Vadreen, you know, he's a little bit more rah-rah military... Or if we meet, you know, Senator Kinsey, and, and he's not technically military, but he's still, like, more of that mindset of, like, a good old boy who right. likes military power and such. Yeah. Anything else for this episode? No. Okay. Moving on to The Curse. I also think this episode is really fun. It's kind of like a spooky mystery type episode <laughs> i agree this one was it was a bit of a departure because for all that this started with like ancient egyptian-esque uh -huh. mythology like we we don't see it much anymore mm -hmm. yeah so it was 
I said a departure, but it's more like a nice like return to form. Yeah, I, I do think it's more of a return to form, especially I, I like I meant like a departure from what we've seen recently. Right. But that's just recent. Like it is very much a return to form. Right. And I feel like we kind of get a nod towards the original movie at the end of the episode, which we'll get to. But so we open up this episode with a callback to a couple episodes ago with when Teal'c discovered conspiracy magazines. Because Jack is reading one of Teal'c's conspiracy magazines. Because they bonded, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that is where Daniel sees the announcement of his old archaeology professor's death. Wait, wait. Back up. There's the whole cold open with the professor. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, that's true. So it opens with the professor himself, and they have discovered a bunch of Egyptian materials that had gone missing. They were originally... I think uncovered by the Germans in 1931 and they I guess were recovered by the allies at some point and they're going to be shipped to New Jersey but then they the ship sunk so there's this whole thing about the curse of Osiris who like everybody who's ever been connected to this particular treasure ends up getting killed and Egypt wants it back. Yep, Egypt wants their stuff back, and they're, like, bitter about it, of course. Like, the old professor's like, Egypt wants their stuff back. Like, let's just finish up and send it back. And all the young people are like, but what are they going to do with it? And I'm like, wow. It is not yours. (laughs) Give it back. (sighs) Yeah. And so, turns out that the curse of Osiris has struck again, and that's why the professor's death is in this conspiracy magazine. Because right. it's directly related to, to this curse. Given and... what I know about magazine turnaround times, I think it's very funny that this death that right. was recent enough that the funeral hasn't happened yet yeah, ended up in print and in a magazine in a secret underground military base. Yeah, of everything that happens in this episode, I think that's the most unlikely thing. <laughs> <laughs> because it's yeah, true. Like, the rest is fine. Because, I mean, magazines are at most weekly, but then yeah. that mean that the funeral has like happens more than a week after the professor's death which doesn't really seem to track with the rest of the episode because the rest of the episode makes it seems like it's been a few days since he died also him not being buried for a week doesn't track with most cultures that are fairly quick to perform funeral rites whatever they are well it depends on like availability Like, if certain family members can't get there that quickly, then they may hold off on the funeral. For a couple days, you have a memorial whenever anybody can get there. You get that body in the ground, like, quickly. Well, I mean, rot. Well, no, that's what cremation is for. If you get cremated... It wasn't cremated. Well... Even if you're cremated, then you just give the body over immediately to cremate. You don't let it sit there. Oh, well, sorry, what I meant was embalming. It, it, if it's a body and they embalm it, it's going to be fine for a few weeks. That's disgusting. <laughs> so that's the whole point like of that. embalming is to keep it. But, but, but we know that he died in a fire. So it probably is just ashes that they're burying. <laughs> I'm going to swallow my terrible joke. Okay. Okay. So because it's just ashes that they're burying. I mean, it, they have a coffin, but that's just for show, I'm assuming. You know, it's yeah. probably just an urn inside the coffin in which case yeah it's be totally fine to wait a week 
but that's still weird. I mean, maybe his like daughter or something like had it couldn't be there it's, right away, you know. Even Isn't if it weird? was weekly, like it, it's still a couple weeks. Right. It would have been a couple weeks before it made it to them. Yeah, it is weird that the magazine would have had the news that quickly. Yeah. Unless it's one of those things where it's like, it would have to be like the perfect circumstance of it being a weekly magazine and they found out the information right before it went to print. You know, and that was like the last thing they threw in there before it went to print kind of thing. And then maybe, okay, it's only it's been less than a week since his death. Still. Yeah, it's still the least stretch. realistic part of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so Daniel goes to the funeral and he has two of his old colleagues that are there who were still working for the professor. And so Stephen is one of them and Sarah is one of them. And with Stephen, I I have my notes because I it had been a while since I'd seen this episode and I was like, I can't remember if Steven is the bad guy or if he's just an a-hole. <laughs> I put in my notes, the text wants me to think wish.com Oscar Isaac did it, which makes me think the lady did it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a little too hard to sell him as the villain. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, it ended up that Steven was just an a-hole. He was not actually the villain. Although he did steal something. So it's not like he's an angel over here. Yeah, but he didn't like kill the guy. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't murder anybody. <laughs> also, I like that um, Daniel's brain does not recognize the difference between grief and lust. Right? Ever. In like, any circumstance. He sees his old girlfriend, Sarah. And he's and like, whoa. Hello. I'm not sad anymore. You're still hot, babe. Cure his mental know, illness. <laughs> I did notice that this is the third romantic interest of Daniel's that has curly hair. So I'm like, you know, he does have good taste. That's true. He does have excellent <laughs> taste in hairstyle. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, she was like walking around at one point um, with her hair open. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, like drop the hair care routine. Right? She, she has great still, hair. Let me know. Yeah. Like it's, her hair looked great the whole episode. Like, what were they doing in two thousand? Was that the Moose era? Was that I don't know. What were they doing in two thousand? <laughs> it had to have been the Moose era, right? I'm about to go buy Moose again, like just to see if I can replicate that. Do they even make can, Moose anymore? We can try, try to find the actress and like, can you please tell us your hair care routine? Like. I'm about to see I think it's. I'm pretty sure those are her natural curls because her IMDb photo is curly, and there's like uh, some red carpet photos where she has curly hair. Oh, like so. if, if the heroine in a show has curly hair, unless the curly hair is a plot point, like the Princess Diaries, like it's just her hair. Well, like I guess I I just keep thinking of like Outlander where maybe the character in the book had curly hair and so they made the actress have curly because the actress does not have curly hair in Outlander. What's her name? I don't remember what um, her name is. Katrina. Katrina. Yeah. Bauf? Yeah, I don't know if you're supposed to pronounce the O. I don't actually know. It's okay. It's definitely not pronounced Katrina. It's definitely okay, so something It's Katrina then. Yeah, I think Because I've so. heard it like that in an audiobook. I just didn't know if the narrator was like wrong. 
I specifically remember thinking that it was not Katrina. So it's probably Catriona. <laughs> anyway, she does not have naturally curly hair. So sometimes they, you know, okay, we'll so it's like for the period piece or whatever. Anyway, yeah, but, she's got great but hair. But this, yeah, this actress, Anna Louise Plowman, she, it looks like it's natural hair for her. So that's nice. Yeah, we need to see if she's on Twitter. Slide into her DMs okay. and be like, what do you do to <laughs> what your do you hair? Do? Yeah, how do you this do episode, that? What did they do to your hair? <laughs> I feel like it's moose. There's too much volume for it to not be moose. I, but see, even if I knew her hair care routine, I just don't have that much like my hair is thin it's so thin but like moose does artificial volume it like floofs it up but i mean i don't know it just looks like she naturally has a lot of volume and i'm just never gonna be she able does to she that. does have a lot of volume that comes natural but i feel like moose will, will floof it yeah maybe so are All you right. a curly girl let us know <laughs> i gotta find her now anna louise Palmen. i'm coming are for you her. anna louise Palmen and listening to this let us know <laughs> <laughs> please find us on on uh, alternate twitter <laughs> anyway back to the plot <laughs> uh, yeah so Daniel seems very happy to see his hot ex-girlfriend so apparently Steven who is just like has a chip on his shoulder about Daniel because apparently Daniel was the professor's favorite student and so, like, Stephen has been, like, in Daniel's shadow, even despite, you know, Daniel being gone for the past five years. But he has done well enough for himself that he wrote a book that has been on the bestseller list for a while. And so he's now buying a Porsche. And I'm like, that must have been one hell of a bestseller. That's buy the most unrealistic part of this episode. Right? That, that is, I almost called him an architect, but an archaeologist. Yeah. You're right. Some kind of book that hits the bestseller list in such a fashion that he has enough money to now buy a Porsche. That's insane. That means out his advance. That means he's getting royalties uh-huh. in the, in Porsche buying amounts. Right. Which makes me think that the show writers don't actually know how publishing works. Yeah. because Especially because an academic like that yeah. What they're writing is probably academic texts, which do not become bestsellers. So in order for it to be a bestseller, it would have to be something like fiction. Like, unless he like wrote the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's got to be this this universe's version of the Da Vinci wrote, Code. That's 100% <laughs> it. He wrote the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. For He wrote the Osiris Code. Right? That's it. It would have to be that level. And then, like, but then even then, if you were to write a fiction book with that level of popularity, you've got to think that the other academics would make fun of him for it. You know what I mean? Because it's not serious. Because, like, among academics like that, there's often, like, a disdain for, like, fictional literature. Yeah. Especially if it's, like, popularized to the point where it actually becomes a bestseller that means that it's probably not very highbrow we um both chelsea and i can actively attest to the fact that one of our professors in grad school had open disdain for the da vinci code oh yes <laughs> like openly hated this book yes so and basically any kind of 
run-of-the-mill like mystery thriller like crime thriller type book he was he hated those too not a fan of fiction like popular fiction popular fiction yeah yeah like which makes me think one of two things either he genuinely hates it or he is dan brown like there's no in between (laughs) he's like dan brown's ghostwriter but yeah i'm just like it's just so improbable so the most improbable thing about this entire episode is that steven made enough money on his bestseller book to buy a porsche and the second most improbable thing is that the magazine was able to print news of the professor's death before the funeral if they wanted him to buy a porsche which first of all the line added nothing but if if he had to buy a porsche he's spending his grant money on a porsche it's not ethical but (laughs) i don't know what kind of grant gives you that much money but Makes a little more sense than this diehard academic who critiques Daniel for taking like a out of pocket approach and being like the pyramids were built by aliens. And he takes this so personally. Right. This is like a career academic. That's the other thing. If he thinks Daniel's idea about the pyramids being like landing platforms for aliens is so ridiculous, I cannot see the same person writing a best-selling fiction novel you know what i mean like unless that's what he wrote the novel about and he tried to throw <laughs> daniel off the scent i don't know i think he'd be too proud that's true still get it together steven yeah but i mean i think you're right that this is like a throwaway line that really did not need to be there it brings up more questions than anything like i get that they <laughs> i feel like all they're going for is he's been busy and he's doing well yeah but there are ways to do that in academic circles. Like his grant proposal got approved. Yeah. He got tenure. He's yeah. been invited to guest lecture at Oxford. Like right. whatever. There are ways to do this without he wrote a bestseller and he's buying a Porsche. Like yeah. whose fantasy is that? Right. And I mean, you could also have personal achievements thrown in there. Like he got married and his wife is really hot, you know, or something like that. <laughs> like, I feel like they were playing up a little bit of tension between the three of them. So they wouldn't have yeah. done it that, but, but you're right. It could have been anything. And instead yeah. they made it this really implausible thing, but also I feel like people just move on past this line and don't sit yeah. here talking about it for 10 minutes. Like we did. Probably not. So. I did appreciate that. They never implied any romance between Steven and Sarah. I'm really glad that they didn't go the love triangle route. See, I thought that's what they were doing. No, thank God. I thought that was part of the reason he was, like, pissy with Daniel and just wouldn't say as much. Yeah. Well, thankfully they didn't go there. (laughs) Yeah. A little over it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, people can just, you know, remain colleagues. They don't need to be romantically involved. Although, really, Sarah, given the choice. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they have, they have different well, kinds I mean, of looks. Or guy. <laughs> Stephen is, so. Yeah. yeah, so Stephen wanders off after the funeral, and Sarah and Daniel are talking, and Sarah is like, I want to show you something. And my comment is, yeah, yeah, you want to show something already. Right. <laughs> speaking of wanting to show people something the uh b plot okay right okay so b plot 
Hammond decides to give the rest of SG-1 some time off since Daniel is busy. And it's so funny. Like, Jack, he's like, he's going to go fishing. But he seems reluctant to go, which is strange. Maybe just because... I don't think he wants to go alone. Right. But that, I mean, that's so weird to me because he genuinely likes being at his cabin in the woods. So what should it matter if he's alone or not? But apparently he just really didn't want to be alone. He really, really wanted Sam to go. Yeah, he invites Sam and she says no. And she does the weirdest thing. She has the side project working on a motorcycle inside her lab in the base. And I'm like, how did you get that inside? As parts. How are you going to get it outside? Through the door? But, but, like, the elevators aren't that big. Through the Stargate? (laughs) (laughs) My thing is, I feel like the reason she's like, no, I'm not going is because she knew she was going to violate that chain of command. Oh, yeah. If it was the two of them alone on that dock. Yeah. So Jack takes Teal'c instead. Oh, poor Teal'c. With his little hat. And I'm like, no, he's on your head. Like, you can just take the hat off. (laughs) Well, you know, he doesn't want his head to get sunburned. I mean, that's fair. But, like, if you wanted to, you could. And I feel like they just put it there to, like, hide his little little mark. I I mean, maybe they just wanted to give Chris Judge a day off from having the brand stuck on his forehead. Okay, but let's be real. That (laughs) brand is so... They, like, put a little glue on the back and just slap it on his head. Like, (laughs) I swear I've seen that thing peeling sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, you pointed that out before. I'm just dragging every creative department today. I need to make it clear <laughs> that, like, I have the utmost respect for yeah. the Teamsters, the crew, everybody behind the scenes. I'm just, Yeah, and we support the strikes. We support the strikes. That's why yeah. we're recording Hot this in August summer. and you're listening to this in, like, November. Probably, But yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Right? Who knows when this will come out? Oh, God, right? <laughs> Uh, anyway yeah uh, yeah. anyway so teal goes fishing and he discovers that there's not actually any fish in jack's pond and And jack's like that's not the point (laughs) i feel like teal would be fine with fishing if there were actually fish that they were going to catch and actually cook and eat he would be fine with that because that would make sense to him it's like an objective-based sport where right. I feel what happened was Jack said, I want to go fishing. Sam, do you want to come with me? And Sam's like, no, I don't want to come to this gorgeous secluded cabin with you. But now he's like, well, I still have to go because I don't want her to think I was only asking her so that she would come. So right. he asked, Teal, do you want to go fishing? But yeah. the intent was never to go fishing. So it doesn't matter that the lake has no fish in it yeah. because he was never going to go fishing. But now he's like <laughs> committed to having Teal come with him instead and she yeah. looks like there's no fish. And he's like, well, that's not the point. Because the point was to make out with Sam. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he's just caught in his own lie now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and poor Teal. <laughs> so bored. And I'm like, man, you're really regretting that that brother speech, aren't you? <laughs> he's like, we are not brothers. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah. We're sending this <laughs> lovely speech I made last time. <laughs> so... Yeah, we kind of, like, get back and forth with these two different, like, plot lines. And so we get back with Daniel, and he is, like, 
you know, offering to stay and help Sarah catalog things for a few days. So there, and one of the things in like all of this, I don't know, I don't know what you call it. It's, I mean, it's like a treasure trove, essentially. In this collection of artifacts, there were originally two canopic jars, one for Osiris and one for Isis. And the one for Osiris got destroyed in the fire that killed the professor. And the one for Isis had gotten separated. And Daniel finds it down in storage. And he ends up taking it back to the SGC. And I'm like, so you legit just stole this incredibly valuable artifact from this university in Chicago and it doesn't even belong to them either and you just straight up took it well they stole it from Egypt so we're all stealing now I guess but it's like I and by the end of the episode we don't even know if he returns it necessarily (laughs) we can assume yes but even if he did, they ended up taking the the head of it off. So, like, returning it broken? <laughs> I mean... Just be glad he returned it at all. If he did, we don't even know for sure that he did. And I'm just like, you are really bold to just steal this and take it with you. But in any case, he takes it back. He does the translation because there's some gold on it. And figures out that there is basically Osiris and Isis were quote banished to oblivion and Sam does some um, does like an MRI on the Isis jar and discovers that there is a very recently deceased gold inside so presumably the story being that Osiris and Isis did something naughty that the other gold didn't like 10,000 years ago (laughs) And they were banished into these jars and they just happened to be unearthed. And unfortunately, in, in the recent shipping, the Isis jar seal was broken. So Isis is dead. So sad. So sad. But I did jump start a little when he said Isis because that means something different now. But Right. Um... <laughs> no, this is the Egyptian Isis. So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that means Osiris is out there because that Canopic jar is missing. Not another one. <laughs> another one what? They're all just loose and causing <laughs> trouble. Well, just one. Apophis is loose and causing trouble. Oh, well, I mean, there's all those ones out there. That's what I mean. Yeah. Not another one. Yeah. I think this is the last one that they find on Earth. <laughs> On Earth? Well, because, you know, like, Hathor was buried in a sarcophagus on Earth. Seth was running a cult, you know, and they just found Osiris. I think those are... And Isis, technically. Technically, yeah. Respectfully, that's enough. Yeah, I don't think there's any more that they discover hiding out on Earth. (laughs) The Gwolds are not the bad guy all the way to the end of the series, right? No wonder when that's gonna change i mean they i guess they kind of are a little bit in that like there's so many of them the the tari don't kill like literally every gold so there are still like a few running around here and there but they're not like they don't stay like the big bad there's a big a different big bad when well definitely 
I would say like seasons eight through ten. That she'll tell me, but Sam and Jack she won't. <laughs> well, I'm just letting you know that it's not going to be all gold all the time. Let me know if they're going to kiss or not. <laughs> I no, mean, that... technically, technically, we've seen no, like them. without mind control and it as themselves and like this Sam and this Jack, like just do they swap? Technically, it? they did already. It's just that do Sam doesn't more remember spit? it. Do they what? Swap more spit? <laughs> That's a weird way to say that. <laughs> I didn't make it up. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so they open up the Isis jar and discover that she was very recently deceased. And this brings up my point too. The little fins on this symbiote are very, very small. Because I was talking a few episodes ago about how the fins on the primordial gold on the Unas planet were huge. Well, her and fins I, didn't have any room to grow in that jar. Well, I mean, I posited the theory that over time, as they, you know, started using human hosts, that their fins got smaller through evolution oh, because right. they didn't because they didn't need the fins to be so large anymore because they weren't living in water anymore. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Sports She's been living in a jar, so she definitely doesn't need her fins. Yeah. I mean, it could also be that she was born with much larger fins and then shed them over time. So, I mean, okay, but... especially considering that these Gwowold are at least 10,000 years old, I mean, it is possible that they once had larger fins themselves. So, we don't know for sure. And that's the writers aren't super concerned about talking about the fins on a gold. So the number of things we care about that the writers like just don't go into <laughs> is astounding. <laughs> well, there's lots of details, but there's just not enough time to talk about. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. And so now that they know that Osiris is probably out there somewhere, they're like, oh, let's put the SGC on lockdown or whatever. And I'm like, well, Think about it this way, like, what are the odds that Osiris would figure out where the Stargate is? Because they're currently making the assumption that Steven might be the host for Osiris. But it's like, okay, Steven himself has zero knowledge of the Stargate. Therefore, Osiris can't learn anything from him as a host about where the Stargate might be. Right. So there is, and Osiris has been asleep for 10,000 years. There is no way for him to have any kind of guess on where the Stargate currently is. So I feel like putting the SJC on lockdown is totally unnecessary. <laughs> but I mean, I guess it's protocol. Yeah. So we kind of like go back. Daniel goes back to Chicago and he like talks to Steven at one point and there's another death and then Steven disappears and he talks to Sarah and then there's another death. It's like people keep dying from this like quote Osiris curse. I'm like, or, you know, just Osiris. <laughs> Quite literally Osiris. That is the curse. You pissed him <laughs> off. Right. <laughs> and so then we 
be, are able to find like where Stephen went to. So Stephen went to this temple in Egypt and it was not clear to me how he knew to go there. I'm like, is that maybe it's like where the Germans originally uncovered these artifacts in 1931? It was not. Yeah, it wasn't very clear. And then also like the temple, the door was just wide open. He wants people to come on in. (laughs) But I was just like, I mean, how would you know exactly where the temple was? But then even once you get there, I would think that it'd be sealed up, you know, that like either it's a tourist site or the Egyptian government has sealed it up to prevent looters from going So if it's wide open, it's probably a tourist site. But there's nobody around. So it's like an off day, but it's not like so sealed up that you can't get it open. But Sam, was it Sam or was it Dr. Frazier made a comment, maybe it was Dr. Frazier made a comment of, I can see like why this isn't a tourist destination. Well, it could be like it is open for people, but like people don't go. Yeah. You know? But then I would think there would be like some kind of guard or something to make sure that looters don't come. I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So Stephen stole an artifact and he like opens up the secret compartment that has the ribbon device in it. And so this is like when we discovered that Stephen was never the host for Osiris. He was just an a-hole to Daniel this whole time. (laughs) Stephen and I have that in common. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) And so Stephen gets hit off screen so that we don't quite find out who Osiris is just yet. And Daniel and Sam and Janet all come and you know, to the rescue or whatever. And so they have this sedative that they're going to try to use on Osiris. And they're like all charging into this temple. And Daniel is the one that has the trank gun. And I'm like, of these three people, Daniel has the least amount of training with a gun. Why is he the one that has the trank gun? <laughs> because... <laughs> Because he's the only man? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or because it's a mission that's personal to him? Probably the man thing. <laughs> like, either one of the women would have been a better shot than he was. <laughs> but he's a man. <sighs> yeah. Oh. Anyway, so we find out that Sarah is actually the one who is the host to Osiris. And which, like, me going back and re-watching it is like, I'm like analyzing <laughs> Sarah's like performance through the whole thing essentially. And I'm like, you know what? Osiris is a really good actor because there were truly no hints at any nefarious purpose. Well, 10,000 years will have that effect. <laughs> he was determined. Yeah. He's like, I'm not messing this up now. Mm-hmm. Not this late in the game. Yeah. Although now it kind of comes to a thing of like, are we going to refer to Osiris as a he or a she? Because normally he always had male hosts, but now he has a female host. I, mean, I think it's like, that, like that thing of like when you switch. So if it's Osiris yeah. talking, it's he. If it's right. Sarah talking, it's she. Yeah, I can buy that. 
I was thinking maybe like maybe out of respect for Sarah that we just always call Osiris she. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, like if you're referring to the body, I would say it's it's she because that's Sarah's body and Osiris is just in there. But but if it's Osiris you want to like talking, an yeah. action that Osiris has done or something yeah, Osiris yeah. has said, then it's he because it's right. not Sarah doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I was just thinking, it's too bad that Sam never went to Chicago with Daniel because she would have detected that Sarah was Osiris. A multivitamin. Right? (laughs) So Sarah is Osiris and she has a a great outfit on. Honestly, it's like very like desert chic. (laughs) She went shopping before she came. She really did. Like it's a whole thing. It's a whole vibe. (laughs) The whole look. And so she gets the ribbon device from Steven and knocks him out and she ends up using the ribbon device to uncover a cargo ship. I think there's, it might take in gold. It might be called a hot talk. I'm not entirely sure about that. Anyway, she opens up and shows that there's this ship outside. And so she goes up into her ship and this is like a nod to the original movie, I feel like, because, and I really appreciated this element because, you know, this ship of hers that that has been like buried, has been buried for at least 10,000 years. So it's not going to look like the newer models, right? you know, that they fly around now. So I really appreciated that it looked different. So it was like, it looked like it was made entirely of metal and it was like an actual pyramid shape, like very like square side kind of like pyramid shape, as opposed to the modern ones that are like rounded edges and stuff like that and like gold. Right. So I appreciate that. And I felt like it looked more like something that would have been designed for the movie. Maybe they like use concept art or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I just really appreciate that touch. Yeah, that, like it looks like an old model, you know, <laughs> which probably means that it doesn't travel super fast, or at least it shouldn't. Kind of think about much, but when they do, yeah. So I mean, theoretically, it should take her quite a while to get anywhere because it shouldn't be a super fast ship. But I mean, for plot reasons, who knows? She might end up getting somewhere really quickly. <laughs> So Steven ends up being okay. He has some internal bleeding, but I do really appreciate that he apologized to Daniel for being mean. But as you know, in fairness, like, yeah, Steven was really rude to Daniel the entire episode, but also from Steven's perspective, Daniel was coming off very high and mighty the entire episode because he came swooping in out of nowhere after five years and is like trying to essentially take over going through and all of these artifacts and translating things and literally taking something away. I would take it personally too. Yeah, I mean, I totally get it. Like Daniel disappeared five years ago and then he comes back with this attitude of I know better than you when this is a project that Steven has been working on for a long time. And like, this is his career and his livelihood and, you know, aside from his best-selling book. And, uh, you know, I get it. Like, I understand why he's resentful of Daniel just swooping in like that. 
I mean, granted, he was ruder than he needed to be, but but I get it. Yeah, totally understand. Justice for Steven. Yeah. So now Osiris is on the loose. Although, granted, it will probably take him a while to, like, to gather anywhere. power. <laughs> to get anywhere in the first place and then also to gather power. I mean, I'm assuming somebody like Osiris is going to have hidden piles of treasure in various places. You know what I mean? Like, resources that are hidden on various worlds that nobody knows about. So he might be able to have ships, you know, or something like that relatively quickly. But gaining, like, Jaffa is a lot because that would mean probably conquering somebody else's Jaffa right. and stealing them, you know? So being able to gain power in terms of like actual manpower is going to take a while. Yeah. I can't wait to see what kind of drama. <laughs> and I'm happy to say that we will see Sarah slash Osiris again. So it's not like we're introduced to this new character and never see him again. <laughs> so. We're going to see her and her banging hair again. Yes. It, it continues to be banging. <laughs> I love it. This is what we love to hear. What did you think of this episode? I liked it better than the last one. Oh, yeah? Why is that? It was more mythology, less Top Gun. Yeah, that's true. You just have a weird thing about Top Gun. I don't like Top Gun. It's boring. <laughs> Top Gun Maverick was good. Okay. But... Okay. Oh, one comment I did forget to make in the Tangent episode was at the very end when the people in the SGC find out that Teal'c and Jack are alive, everyone in the control room throws all of the papers that they're holding into the air. That always bugs me. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, we need to clean it up. Second of all, your papers are all mixed up. They're like each other. Third of all, even if you're just throwing one document in the air, you got to organize that. No. Finally, somebody who understands me, because I make this complaint to my parents and they're like, you're overthinking it. And I'm like, no, you're right. <laughs> Thank you. No, I Please support stop you. throwing papers in the air. <laughs> Unless you have like a pack of blank printer paper that you haven't used yet. Then Even maybe it's then. okay. Even then that seems wasteful because they're going to get all crinkled in the process and of picking dirty. them back up. Just don't throw paper. Yeah, don't throw paper. Unless it's like confetti. Confetti is fine. Confetti's fine. That's the purpose of confetti is to be thrown. Just everybody at the SGC keep a little confetti cannon under your desk. Yeah. And when you need to use it, just fire it off. And then somebody can vacuum it up. I feel like that would be a big problem in that room, though, because of all the computers. It would get okay. stuck in all, like, all the keyboards. Fire it <laughs> off outside. Not if it's big enough, like concert confetti. Yeah, that's true. That might be okay. But I feel like anything unregulated with any type of explosive power would not be allowed on base. It's regulated. It's like regulation standard issue confetti gun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Listen, it's better than throwing the papers. That's true. <laughs> I'm I'm really glad you're on my side with that. Oh, always. <laughs> I don't think I noticed anything problematic in these episodes. Me neither. Besides maybe, like, Daniel 
barely able to keep it in his pants, but you know. But that's like just standard. That's Daniel a character thing. <laughs> that's That's just Daniel. <laughs> Anything else we haven't covered? Nope. Okay, next week we're going to be talking about SG1 Season 4, Episodes 14 and 15, The Serpent's Venom and Chain Reaction, with lots of political drama. Are you ready for your next quote? Yes. If I thought my soul would be forever punished, why would I lie? Okay, this is Daniel talking to the alien of the week who's got some kind of concept about your soul being punished or whatever for telling lies or whatever and that Daniel must know better and Daniel's trying to reason with them. Okay, we'll find out next week. That's it for today. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would love for you to rate us five stars wherever you can. If you want to talk to us about Stargate, you can find us on our podcast Twitter and Tumblr page at Wormhole Waffles. I also have a blue sky just in case. I'm not really using it, but we're there too. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Chelsea Barrowless. Arzu, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Arzu Amin. I'm at Arzu D2 on Instagram, Tumblr. Probably blue sky. I really need to. I think it's at rzmme.bluesky.social. But if you look up rz, there as a network, we are on Twitter at geeky underscore waffle. We are the geeky waffle on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. We are the geeky waffle on YouTube. We're at geekywaffle.com, and we're on Patreon, patreon.com/geekywaffle. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you on the other side of the event horizon. <laughs>